This is Comparing Apples to Oranges, the podcast where we take two things in the same category that don't belong in the same genre, and using a special set of criteria for this episode, decide which one's better. I'm Mike, and... I'm Bob. Welcome aboard, Bob. Uh, Welcome back. Happy that you're here. Thanks, Mike. I'm glad to be here. I hope this isn't the last time that I'm here. No, never. This this is definitely like... uh, I know what you did last summer again, sort of. That's what this one is. All right, it's definitely leaving a room open for the future. Um, I was a little worried uh, with the theme here that there was a sign, there's a message to me. But no, never. I'm hear it. Uh, it's not podcasts uh, la- on the on the last legs. Um, this is movies with last in the title. We're doing today. Uh, I really wanted to watch. Um, Rambo Last Blood for a reason um, because I couldn't just justify watching it for no reason <laughs> which isn't fair um, maybe not by yourself yeah that's true and uh, you put on a list if you like enjoy watching this movie by yourself too much that yeah that's it's definitely one of those like Amazon has a ticker and they're selling that to the FBI for good reason you know like <laughs> This is a pop-up a couple flags for good reason. Um, yeah. So because, uh, you know, we, we could have done um, I Know What You Did Last Summer or uh, what's another movie where last isn't doesn't mean the final? Um, ooh, oh, that's a good question. Oh, uh, Last House on the Left, you actually yeah, suggested. Last House on the Left, but I just a good one. That, that is actually the final house on the left. Which would make sense, too. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, there's a movie called The Last Winter. Um, winter comes every year, so... <laughs> nice. I'm not, not sure what that means. Uh, apparently an old Rob Lowe vehicle starring Megan Mullally and Demi Moore was about last night, you know? Oh, <laughs> uh, a, um, a, a Rob Lowe... Megan Mullally vehicle that isn't Parks and Recreation, that is. Correct. I should have specified, you're right. Yeah. yeah and then, of course, uh, Robert De Niro, Morgan Freeman, Michael Douglas, um, joint Last Vegas. Oh, man. Yeah, that's like um, that's like one of those Wild Hogs core movies. Yes. I think it's like a new genre that they made up like 10 years ago. I think it's... Get four old guys. I think it's... It's technically Space Cowboys clone. <laughs> I, I believe that was yeah, the first was one. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, it's wild that all these old people keep wanting to make money, you know? Like... <laughs> yeah. Just just leave it's, it alone. We want tame it's, hogs. It's, just, it's crazy that, you know, you have these old dudes that accept $20 million to make a shitty movie it's like why would they do that yeah i'm like just make dirty grandpa you know that's all that's your role now can they please make another fuckers uh i thought that's what fuckers. i thought <laughs> uh what what's the guy's name and i know it's ben stiller but what's his character's name jeff or joel greg greg, greg. 
I, I knew it was Gaylord Falker. Yeah. yeah. So it'd be like Greg's last Falk or something stupid. Uh yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Because that doesn't make any sense, so I know I would see it. <laughs> it doesn't need to make sense. Okay. It's it's like eh, it, it's kind of punny. Just go. Yeah. With it. Now, I don't want to get ahead of our recommendations, but I do want to talk about movies that have last in the title real quick and like what when you see a movie that has last in the title. Oh, The Last Jedi. That's a movie, right? It is a movie. It is not the last movie in the series, though. There you go. And are we getting into spoiler territory, even though the, the ninth one has already come out? Like, Yeah, man, I don't care. Okay. Because, uh, <laughs> like, that movie is not about The Last Jedi. Like, Rise of Skywalker should be called The Last Jedi, right? Right? You know, I actually saw a, a Twitter thread that claimed that all nine Star Wars movies are misnamed. Oh. And it just shuffled up the names on the movies and explained why each movie should be called something else. Okay. And it was pretty interesting. It was like, yeah, okay, A New Hope should be called, uh, you know, Empire Strikes Back, because that's yeah. in the Empire Strikes Back. And, yeah, A New Hope, oh, that should be, you know, some other movie. Okay. I can, su- so, I can support that. Yeah. Um, Attack of the Clones seemed pretty on the nose, though. But... <laughs> Because all those yeah. clones, right? And they kept a lot this. Of clones attacking. I'm gonna be honest. I haven't seen that movie since the early 2000s, so I really shouldn't. I saw it once in theaters, and I will probably never see it again. Yeah. Even though you know, there's probably a lot of uh, Boba Fett lore in there, right? Is that in the, that one? Probably. Okay. Yeah, Just... he's like a clone or something, right? I thought like Jango Fett gives them. Is maybe Jango yeah. Fett's the clone? Right, or they're all clones of Django Fett. That sounds right. I'm going to go with that. Okay. Um, that's been the the part of our podcast where we talk about Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we got that one out of the way. Um, knock another one of those out. So when you hear last in a movie, we've got uh, Last Starfighter. We've got... Um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Which... Uh, I found a little little snippet about this. It said, following the 1989 release of The Last Crusade, George Lucas let the series end as he felt he could not think of a good plot device to drive the next installment, and chose instead to produce the young Indiana Jones Chronicles, which explored the character in his early years. So that was the last movie. So it wasn't just Indiana Jones' last movie. You know, it's... It gives. It's the last time anyone's gonna go after the Holy Grail, right? That's what the movie's about. Um, yeah, I guess. Cause I mean, it's not the last Indiana Jones movie. But it was supposed to be. <laughs> Do you remember Money and Old People? <laughs> oh, yeah. Right, we covered this. Yeah. Um. Yeah, cause the girl falls down uh, the schism into the bottomless pit and. Uh, yes, that's the last time anyone hunt for the grill because it's gone now. Yeah, there you go. Solve that problem. Um, and then we've got uh, Last Tango in Paris, which oh, made by Bernardo Bertolucci, right? Yeah, good connect there. Um, didn't yeah. see it. Don't really know if they do tangos in Paris, but I wonder if this was the. F- what about the Last Dinosaur? Oh, now that see, I think that is the Last Dinosaur. Okay. 
Um, That's the last one I've seen. X-Men Last Stand was the last X-Men movie for two years, I think. (laughs) (laughs) That was not the last X-Men movie. That's that's near the first half of the (laughs) X-Men saga in the end. It's the last of the first, right? Which doesn't sound good. Doesn't sound good on a tagline. You're right. Okay, so here's a good one, and this is when we get into frustrating details. The Last Exorcism, Part Two. Okay, so they can't they can't they can't even change the name like the the final or the lastest. They they just add on a part two. Ultimate. Or the penultimate. That would be. I'd appreciate that. That way I know what's coming next. And then uh, finally, Martin Scorsese's *The Last Temptation of Christ*. I would argue that is the final one that he has to go through. That was, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Christ was not tempted after that. Oh, tracks. Garden of Gethsemane. Good, good job, Marty. Been pretty. That movie was. I think that was on the banned list for a while. Oh, most definitely. Um, Anything where Willem Dafoe has I mean, to play Jesus gets put on the the, the not so good list. It any movie like that, it shouldn't automatically go on the not good list, but it will always go into either the best or the don't see this list. Right. There's nothing in between when uh, Mr. Defoe plays the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. <laughs> Which you know, it's he's another one of the guys that sort of he's he's an Jesus. He, <laughs> He always pops up. He pops up in movies sometimes. He was in Ben Hur. <laughs> he does. It's true. Um, but like Willem Dafoe was, like in my lifetime, the first things I saw him in were uh, he was the Green Goblin. <laughs> now these aren't the, not the first movies he was in. These are the first movies oh, I no. saw. So it's the Green Goblin and Spider Man One and Two. Yeah. Um, Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou wasn't too long after that. Correct. And then uh, he was in Boondock Saints, which I had seen at some point. Yes. And then and then I saw Platoon, and then I saw Last Temptation of Christ, and I'm like, this guy's confusing. <laughs> is the best see, way I could describe it. So you know what you got to do? I want to see a uh, uh, you know a uh, a back to back of the Last Temptation of Christ followed by Antichrist. Is he in that? He is in that. Oh, no. <laughs> and so is possibly his erect penis. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's not a doubt in my mind that it's in there. It might be Willems. There's not, a, there's not a doubt in my mind. This is like the, the uh, Brad Pitt and Fight Club thing when someone's like, did you hear this rumor? I'm like, I believe it. <laughs> All right? Uh, yeah. I believe it. The full-on uh, Tyson zone. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, sure. I'll believe anything you say. Well, yeah, makes sense. Uh, all right. So, um, what are you looking for in a movie with last in the title? What, what do you go in the theater, or when you turn it on your, uh, your your digital screen? What are you expecting from a movie that has last in the title? Now, when I'm going to see a movie that says last in the title, I am prepared that this might not be the last time I see a movie in the series. Okay. Or a particular series of movies that I'm seeing, but I better get some sort of finality. Okay. Maybe not over the whole story, but like the story that's in the last movie, you better wrap that up pretty nicely. Okay. That's fair. 
Because it's um, like it's the last time I want to think about that specific plot, you know? Yes. Uh, like, you know, The Last Jedi. Sure, I'll see more Star Wars, but, like, that better be The Last Jedi. Right. And the issue with that movie was that it was... Everyone knew it was the second of a th- trilogy. <laughs> right. So that was frustrating. Well, yeah, not to mention that they, they hired a director with a completely different... Um, mindset for the trilogy than the actual uh, well, J.J. Abrams. Yeah. Ryan Johnson did not quite share Abrams' vision. You could uh, say it was Star Ryan's last Star Wars movie, you know? Oh. That'd be fine. Yeah, I'm done with that. Not coming back. There's no question. <laughs> no. Nope. Nope. Uh, uh, yeah, but, I mean, how about you, Mike? When you see last on the title, what, what is that priming you for? I'm used to seeing something that like nods at that this movie is built on a whole series and now most of the ones we were mentioning like uh, Save the Last Dance or Last of the Mohicans or The Last Unicorn those movies I think do a good job of what they're supposed to do is they're letting you know that this is going to end not just, you know, a series, but this is ending sort of an archetype. So this is the end of the arc for uh, the thing that's in the title. So, yes, this is the last dinosaur, and we're going to follow them, but you must know that it's coming from, like, a culture or a history that is uh, sort of already entrenched. And for the most part, they the audience knows a little bit about it. Like we, we know plenty about unicorns, you know, we know lots about action heroes and sort Mm of, we, we are given a brief, um, sort of history. I appreciate that when we get that in the movie, whether it's in the prologue or through some flashbacks instead of, you know, hopefully you never hear the actual phrase, Oh, you are the last action hero, or you are the last samurai, Tom Cruise. You know. I mean, I do enjoy when they say the title of the movie in the movie, but of course. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, there has to be some sort of familiarity with the series. I agree. Like, um, or it can even be a part of like, you know, the meta narrative. Yes. Of the story. Yes. Save the last dance. Right. Well, I know what dance is, so I can conceptualize the last dance. Right. Sure. I mean, that would suck if there was no more dancing after that, but I'll watch the movie. It's Julia Stiles. I was going to say, if the one per, if the, we're going to have a last dance, I would have it, have her do it, you know, sort of thing. 100%. All right, you ready to start talking about the two films we watched? Let's do it. Um, let's start with, uh, I think, the lighter of the two. We watched... I, yeah, I agree. I think we should do... Well, Last Emperor. Yeah. This is a 1987's epic biographical drama film. Um, It's mentioned epic because it follows an entire lifetime, um, over 60 years of a man's life. Uh, It is also two hours and 43 minute runtime. We're talking 163 minutes. Um, There is. Actually, Bob was just mentioning this before we started recording. There is an extended version that was um, meant to be a three-hour block 
for television, but they're like, I we got to split it. Longer. They said that it ended up being 218 minutes. It's a, it was almost four hours. Yeah. So <laughs> it was spread out over two nights. Um, I aged more than Puyi while watching this film. <laughs> it took me, uh, from the moment that we conceived of this idea for the podcast episode <laughs> until two days ago <laughs> to finish it. Now, I, I, I wasn't watching it intermittently, <laughs> but images stuck in my head for two to three weeks, and it was so vivid. <laughs> the movie really yeah. paints a picture. It really, it's, it's a beautiful picture. Um, so the movie opens uh, with a little boy, and um, he we follow him, and he is the emperor of 10,000 years. Is that the right phrase? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this movie has some special effects for aging, but unlike the Irishman, uh, John Lone, is, do you think it's Lone or Lone A? He's a Hong Kong-born American, so I don't. I, I'm guessing it's Lone. Okay. So we have John Lone as our main character. Uh, Bob just mentioned Pu Yi. Um, we see him as a three-year-old, an eight-year-old, a fifteen-year-old, an adult, and uh, two versions of an old man. And for, to be fair, I don't think John Lone plays the three-year-old. I, I was going to say I'm really proud of them for not trying to use that uh, de-aging CGI like material. CGI. Yeah, I'm not into that stuff. Um, so I was, oh, I, I thought, thought they did a great job. Um, so we just see his life as he's the final. He's named the emperor by his grandma. Um, I think it's was it his grandma or his great aunt? Okay. Yeah, but yeah, like an older... She idea. she is the empress at the time, and his mother, we find out later, has passed away. Uh, so he is he is deemed the emperor by her, and then she dies in the same scene. And then it's we watch him grow up in the Forbidden City. Uh, talk to me about some, some things that stood out to you before we get into the... Uh, the Western influences. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the first and obvious thing that jumps out is the Forbidden City itself. Um, this was the first movie um, to be shot ever uh, inside the Forbidden City. It was made alongside the um, approval of the Chinese government, and they gave full access. And Which is bananas. It's crazy, yeah. And apparently, like I was reading from some uh, crew workers, that they actually were really hands off with the creation of the film. Like they made a couple script notes, but otherwise kind of left them alone. Which, when you uh, think, so they got to tell the story they wanted to tell. When you think Chinese government and media about China, <laughs> censorship's usually one of the first words that springs to mind. Yeah, and usually like draconian censorship, like. Yeah, like the so we were just talking about Star Wars. I've seen posters that Disney puts out about Star Wars, and they don't have Finn on it because they're just like, well, you know, Asian people don't like really having black leads. And I'm like, wait, what? Right. <laughs> is that a thing yeah. that people know? And apparently, <laughs> if it's not, then Disney, Disney is knows. Disney is crazy. Otherwise, 
Yeah, but so apparently, not only were they, this is the first movie shot in the Forbidden City um, by a Westerner, but they had mm-hmm. 19,000 extras over the course of the film. Yeah, incredible. I mean, that's like Lord of the Rings level, like yeah. Game of Thrones level yes. extras. And it really made a powerful impact. Like, there's a scene when uh, the young child emperor leaves the palace hall or something, and he goes out, and there are just... I mean, it looks like thousands of eunuchs in the courtyard, and they're all doing their coordinated ritualistic bowing and chanting and singing and whatnot. And it... I mean, you can really feel it, just the mass of humanity. Um, You have that many people filling this space that has it almost has like a mystical quality to it I mean the Forbidden City was built uh, from going off of memory I think in like the 1400s okay and you know like no one went in there it was for the emperor right his you know his mistresses and eunuchs and you know affairs of state you know no normal people went in there and you know us plebs on the outside are sitting on our couch and we get to see all this stuff and it's just the weight of the history of the entire Chinese empire is on screen in front of you. And yeah, you can really feel it. I think, yeah, you, you nailed it. They, they do an amazing job of sort of catching how like surreal and almost like otherworldly this life is. And they keep placing it. It's imposing. Yes. That's a good word for it. They keep placing it in the context of history that, during the 80s everyone well everyone knows it now but like during the 80s people are able to like look back and they're like this was happening this is the life he was living while this was happening in the real world almost is like the phrase that you know some characters start using Uh, I mean I think um, Pui's brother his younger brother who's in mm -hmm. the movie ended up I want to say he lived into at least the 80s okay I don't know if he lived long enough to see this movie but yeah I mean like the events in the movie are you know they're history but it's fairly recent history it's it's history that's in living memory for a lot of people yeah um speaking of the time in the late 80s yeah yeah and speaking of the brother we and like sort of his take on things the the interesting thing is the the movie the screenplay was adapted from the autobiography of the last emperor so yeah which i think is a really interesting thing to watch this movie because it does a lot of it's hard to tell who the hero is and i don't think it you, you definitely see sympathetic characters and i think that's you know all good stories and definitely why uh the chinese government was okay with this because you can't pick a bad person in this movie. You just see people and they're forced to make decisions because this is China during a cultural revolution and China during World War II and it's you know, it's definitely it takes something that is, I'm, I'm sure no Westerner has understood and it makes it into something that's very watchable and a very like linear narrative for I was actually yeah pretty stunned at how easy it was to watch yeah. um you know when I when I think of 2 hour and 45 minute like costume historical dramas 
the the ease with which this movie went down is not usually what's in my mind. Right. I feel like those movies tend to be slogs. And there was a pretty good pace to this movie. It was definitely long, but um, at least the first half, maybe even first two-thirds, was really well-paced. I think the last third or so was maybe felt a little rushed even. Right. Just there's so much to cover in the guy's life. But, yeah, I mean, what you said about it hard being... Uh, it's hard to find a hero in this movie. Well, it is kind of true because the, you know, the titular character, the last emperor is a completely powerless man. Right. He barely chooses to do anything in the movie. He is a, a victim of just these huge cultural and historical forces. And, he never wields any real power in his entire life. He becomes emperor at age three, and he abdicates by, I think, age seven. Mm-hmm. And then he... Or he's, he's abdicated, you know, like there's... I don't know what the passive form of abdication is, because he doesn't formally abdicate, like... Oh, no, the... Um, the uh, I think that was the Chinese Republican Revolution. Mm-hmm. They basically said, no, we're in charge now. Right. But you can stay emperor... Don't worry. You know, that's important for the people. You still get to boss around your eunuchs, and we'll still feed you and everything. Um, so he lives that life until he got frustrated with it, and then he leaves. He becomes emperor of Manchuko. Right. Uh, but that's just you know a puppet emperor for the Japanese Empire, and he arguably has even less power there than he did in a, at any point in China. And you know then he gets taken prisoner, and then he ends the movie as basically a peasant farmer. Which, going back to, like, this movie has a, a couple of scenes where, like, we're with him in prison for, I don't know, ten years? And the movie... Uh, yeah, sort of a ten-year sentence. The yeah. movie doesn't really drag, which is very... Conf- no. Like, that's... I don't know how that happened. Because you're you're supposed to feel really boredom. Really yeah. Yes, that's a good... <laughs> a good note. <laughs> <laughs> that turns out, good movies are fun to watch. And then you mentioned how uh, we know we see how powerless he is, even though he is the emperor of you know ten thousand years. Within the first you know fifteen minutes of the movie, we see him trying to cut his own wrists. So he's trying to yeah. kill himself, and they don't even let him do that. And he even right. like he brings that up later, and he talks about how well you're just using me for something. And the guy's like, "That's right." And it's like, "Is that so bad?" Because like the thing I'm using you for is a good thing, and right. you know, it we feel we understand both perspectives without being like, oh, this is this is the bad guy, you know, just like wow, this is a lot more complex. Apparently, this man's life during a cultural revolution pretty complicated. Who'd have guessed, you know? Right, and I feel like uh, the director uh, Bertolucci does a good job with. I'll say he doesn't really pick sides. Yeah. I feel like it would be really easy to make the Chinese communists the villains. Right. Uh, as, you know, maybe fair enough, and they usually are portrayed as such in Western media. And they're certainly not, like, good guys in this movie. But you do see... Um, he's not totally unfair. I mean, I think uh, I think it's fair to say that the happiest time in Puyi's life, it seems, is after he's stripped of everything and he's just farming. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, maybe it worked out for some people. And then um, you, you mentioned our director, uh, Italian director, 
Bernardo Bertolucci, is that what you said? Bertolucci. Uh, so a couple of his credits that you might know him for. He's one of the writers, there are like four writers, for Once Upon a Time in the West, which is another sprawling epic. Um, we had Last Tango in Paris, and then uh, earlier in the 2000s, like early 2000s, was The Dreamers. So he is all over the place when it comes to films. He's sort of like the Daniel Day-Lewis of directing, where he's like, I'm just going to pick stuff that is in every genre. It's all over the place. Um, yeah, I, he's not a genre director. Like, this is a guy who, he makes movies. He's he's definitely about powerful, like, characters. And, you know, I guess during important times, historically, culturally. Because Once yeah. Upon a Time in the West is about, you know, the modernization and the taming of that land and, like, mm-hmm. how cowboys are getting pushed out don't know what the last tango in Paris is. I'm pretty sure the dreamers is about like, Last tango in Paris is about like an affair. Okay. Okay. I think it's kind of a small film actually. Okay. And then the dreamers I know was about a foreigner, like an American in, I want to say France during a tumultuous time in their cultural history. Yeah. And he did the movie 1900, which is like another historical epic about, oh, okay. you know, the rise of, I think about the rise of fascism in Italy. Okay. Wow. Uh, All so over yeah, the place. He, I mean, he's got, he's got some themes he likes. And then, uh, you might recognize our main character, John Lone. Uh, he's in rush hour two and the shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in a bunch of other stuff, yeah, but I'm, I just assume if you're listening to this podcast, you've seen those two. Um, then with Joan Chen, we've got she's uh, was in the original Twin Peaks and also oh, Joan Chen in Twin Peaks, so good. She was in the movie and um, also the reboot of Twin. Is it a reboot or a sequel? Um, what do you call a series that comes back like 15 years later? I mean, it's it's just season three. Mm. There you go. But it's also has. It's very tangentially related to most of the events in season one and two. Right. Yeah, season three, Twin Peaks. Uh, go see it. It's an experience. Okay, cool. Um, just just to let you know that Bob and I aren't the only ones who thought this movie was good. It won nine Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best Director. Yeah, which I feel like this, this is just a, like a really slept upon movie for how well received it was at the time. Yeah, nine Academy Awards. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, in the year 2020, we're here, like, I bet you, probably none of my friends have seen this movie. I, I mean, um, I, we, we hadn't. Right, we hadn't. Um, and we're, we're sure genius cinephiles. Yeah. Uh, hello, please. Exactly. But yeah, it's just one of those movies, best picture, best director, yeah. It, um... Not only so the budget was twenty three point eight million dollars for the late eighties. Uh, that seems. I know that's eighties money, so maybe you double it, but yeah. it still well, seems pretty small considering there's nineteen thousand extras. So that's not just the people in the movie, the main actors, because you know Peter O'Toole's pretty famous. That. The two leads are pretty famous. You know, you probably have like pretty famous. 
20 well-known actors and then costumes and then they said the the amount of costume and uh, like just the props in the uh, Forbidden City it just has to be insane Uh, now this is a very Chinese phrase right here the People's Liberation Army was drafted in to accommodate as some of the extras Um, they might have done that for free so that might not have cost anything (laughs) They're just yeah, it's just doing government work. But so they made the budget was twenty three point eight million. The box office was forty four million, which means Solid. they Good doubled. It, that's crazy. Yeah. Um. So is, is there anything else you want to talk about the movie before we move on to the next one? Well, um, I mean, I feel like yeah, like I really want to note that just it, it was an interesting framing having this be about you know the last emperor right you know uh, not a king he's a king of kings and yet he's utterly powerless and really the main the main actor in the movie is just history it's all background right this is the life of a guy kind of floating through all these major major events in chinese history of which i did learn quite a bit like i i forgot I didn't realize the Republican Revolution was so early in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you know, it gets into the Japanese invasion and the uh, the in one of the later prison scenes in the movie, they get into the uh, the violence that the Japanese army did in China and especially Manchuria. Right. And you know about how like that still affects their international relations. Yes. Uh, between China and Japan. Um, and yeah, like he, but just the powerless. I thought it was poignant when um, Peter O'Toole first comes to work for him as his tutor, and they're talking, and Puyi just kind of forlornly says he's talking about. Oh, he asks if George Washington had a car. He was like, no, he lived a long time ago. And Puyi just says, just kind of looks in the distance, says, "I want a car." Yeah, that's like. You know, it's at this point, 19, well, maybe it's only like 1920 or so, 1930, but he can't even have a car. Yeah. He's the emperor. It's the son of heaven. (laughs) Can't get what he wants. God among men can't have a car. Speaking of perfect transition, Bob. His life just, yeah, shitty life. Perfect transition, uh, God among men. We're talking about Rambo, Last Blood. Um talking it's the clear uh juxtaposition between the powerless you know emperor of china and the most powerful man on either side of the border john rambo um this is a there's gonna be a lot of blood talk it's 2019 this american action film um which uh if you're keeping track at home is written by Sylvester Stallone, not so much directed by, but a little bit directed by Sylvester Stallone. We got, uh, he wrote... Didn't seem to be a whole lot of direction in this movie. Exactly, that's why I comment. Um, okay, he, he wrote Rambo First Blood. He wrote Rambo First Blood Part 2. He wrote Rambo 3. He co-wrote Rambo... Full full stop right there, and <laughs> Annie co-wrote Rambo: Last Blood, so he's a busy boy. Um, this one, the director it really should have been called Rambo Number Five, which 
oh, I can't wait to tell you about this. I got some good deets on that. Um, so the, the nominal director was Adrian. When you say an, an umlaut that's over a U, do you say un or un? Un. Okay. So Adrian G, I don't know how to say his name, um, which you might have recognized, he was the assistant director for Wall Street 2. That's right, the one with Shia LaBeouf. And he directed oh. Mel Gibson's Apocalypto, Edge of Darkness, okay. and Get the Gringo. So he is a Gibson head. <laughs> Which, I, off the top of my head, I want to say Gibson was probably in one of the Expendable movies, and maybe that's where they yeah, met. That's a yeah. good guess. Um, you know, uh, if you want to shoot... Mel Gibson with a camera, you know, mm-hmm. that's fine. If you want to um, agree with some of his, let's say, opinions, <laughs> I'm going to have some questions. Yeah. But, it, and it definitely doesn't help that he, he has an umlaut over that U. You yeah, know, that's, that's not great. That is, yeah, that does not jibe with the uh, history of what's going on there. And uh, so the the fellow co-writer, Matthew Kurlnick? Um, the only credit I could find him was was a TV show called Absentia, which I haven't watched. Um, Sylvester Stallone at the time was 73 years old of the filming of this movie. Oh, wait, no, 72, because they filmed it in 2018. Yeah, do something. Um, um, yeah, that's... Uh, I mean, and it's Sylvester Stallone. I think him more than... I mean, you... I guess you could throw Arnold Schwarzenegger in this conversation, but I consider him different because he was a professional bodybuilder right. before he became an actor. Right. I think Sylvester Stallone, more than anyone, and really, I think, paved the way for just about, I don't know, every single Hollywood star working today, the way he transformed his body yeah. to act and to play the roles he did. I mean, he's... He was always in really good shape, even yeah. uh, in Rocky, his first movie, and then mm-hmm. in uh, Rambo First Blood. Yeah. Or rather, just First Blood. But then by Rambo 2, I should say Rambo First Blood Part 2. Thank you. Um, his body is so insane. The amount of steroids he must have been doing, just out of control. Um, and, and, you know, you see, we go up to the modern day, we see him in this movie. He looks old in the face. Yes. But his body is just like, like he looks like Jason. He just has this like hulking physicality. Right. Uh, yeah, like he looks old, but at the same time, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go in his tunnels. No. I'll tell you that. And I think we'll get into the tunnels in a minute. Um, but I, I was just blown away that he was as spry as he still was and I know that's that sounds like I'm being facetious but um, sometimes when I get up from a chair you know when I get up from a chair too fast or I've been sitting on the couch for too long I'm not going to make it out of those tunnels you know if I'm at my desk at work and I'm looking at my second screen too much and my head's been turned like 30 degrees for too long mm-hmm. yeah, that, that'll mess me up for days yeah and um he he might I can't understand it. He's he's still running around. Now he's not like running that much, but he's doing more running than I expected a seventy two year old man who Certainly. has destroyed his body with drugs and um 
just both recreational so and for his job, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, insane. Been doing this for, what forty years? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so speaking of, um, our first uh first Rambo, not his first movie, but the first Rambo came out in nineteen eighty two. Uh, Rambo, yeah. uh, first Blood Part two, nineteen eighty five. Then we got Rambo three in nineteen eighty eight. So we got every three years, one. right? And then we yeah. we take a twenty year space and come back with Rambo. We need to take some time to make Cobra. Oh. Cobra was supposed to be another really long movie that got ridiculously edited down. It's supposed to be X rated because of the violence. And they cut it down. <laughs> That's when you started to see like some weird stuff going on. Remember when he ate that pizza with scissors? How could I ever <laughs> Eating leftover pizza. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, and then we get this movie came out in 2019. Now you're asking yourself, why did he wait so long? And uh, here's a bit of a confusing winding path to the movie that we got today. Um, Rambo: Last Blood was not the original title for this movie. This was supposed to be Rambo 5 or sorry, yeah, so Rambo v Rambo 5 The Savage Hunt. They announced this oh. September 2009. So that's just a little bit Whoa. over after Rambo was released. Okay? So that's what we're starting with. Um it was going to be loosely based on a novel called Hunter by James Byron Higgins. Huggins, excuse me, and would have focused on Rambo leading an elite special forces kill team to hunt and kill a genetically engineered creature. So we're talking Rambo vs. Predator. That's what I'm that's what I'm hearing, right? Okay. Awesome. And you sort of see that set up in Rambo when he's like making friends with these like uh what's the schoolboy and all these other guys who are like really good at killing you know he would find them and i guess he would hunt predator um so they released a poster and a synopsis for the savage hunt 2009 november rolls around it was reported that the plot had reverted to rambo crossing the mexican border to rescue a girl who has been kidnapped which spoilers ends up happening However, in May 2010, Stallone revealed he was done with the character, stating, I think Rambo's pretty well done. I don't think there'll be any more. I'm about 99% sure I was going to do it, but I feel that with Rocky Balboa, that character came complete circle. Which is true. And it's well done. And he bows out. That was an appropriate finish to, you know, his his life's uh, defining character. Yes. One of his life's defining. I think between Rocky and Rambo, like, that is Sylvester Stallone. But for Rambo, Stallone goes on, to go on another adventure might be, I think, misinterpreted as a mercenary gesture and not necessary. I don't want that to happen. So you're like, oh, look at, you know, little Sly. He's got, he, he's got some integrity. Meanwhile, 2011 rolls around. Sean Hood was hired to write a new script titled Rambo Last Stand. So it still has last in it. We'd still watch it. Okay. Which right, he described perfect. as more in line with the small town thriller of First Blood. 
In 2012, Hood revealed that Rambo 5 had been put on hold in order for Stallone to finish The Expendables 2. Hood also revealed his uncertainty on whether the film would be similar to Unforgiven or A Passing of the Torch, which, that's not really the focus of Unforgiven, but I'll I'll keep moving. (laughs) Yeah. Now we're in 20... Was he thinking, like, Rocky with The Passing of the Torch? Oh, but everyone that Rambo knows is dead. Like, that's the whole thing about Rambo, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I could see it being like, you know, he teams up with a, uh, let's say, a young Iraq or Afghanistan war veteran who's dealing with similar PTSD issues and, um, you know, rejection from society, and then they team up. And then the rescue mission teaches him to box. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Thus, the torch has been passed, or you know, the the Bowie knife has been passed. Naturally, the Bowie sword. By the end, now it's 2013. Entertainment One and New Image, the people who are going to do Savage Hunt, have now talked about development and production of a Rambo TV series starring Sylvester Stallone. In June 2014, German film company Splendid Films, which I got nothing. I don't even know what that is. That's Good name for a film company. Confirmed that Stallone had started writing the script for Rambo 5, which he described as his version of No Country for Old Men. So it's like every year they just mention a different movie that they think is in the zeitgeist. Whatever the good movie is. Yeah. So... Um, uh, Months after that, See, I would, this movie is the opposite of No Country for Old Men because it is a country it, it, with an old man in it for him, and he's the old man. <laughs> um, so, just a couple months later, in September of 2014, it's revealed that the film would be titled Rambo: Last Blood, with Stallone directing. In two, 2015 rolls around, Stallone and Rambo creator David Morrell, the guy who wrote the book. Redeveloped the story for Rambo 5. The actor wanted a soulful journey for the character that the author described as a really emotional, powerful story. Stallone pitched the idea to producers, but they wanted to pursue with the human trafficking story instead, prompting Stallone and Morell to abandon their idea. Later in 2015, Stallone pondered on the possibility of a prequel, stating it's intriguing to find the whys and wherefores of how people have become what they are. The traumas... Sylvester Stallone was going to play John Rambo <laughs> in a prequel? Or he was going to play his dad on the farm, maybe? Bold. Be a bold choice. In 2016, Stallone revealed that Rambo 5 was no longer in production. It, flash forward. In September 2019, after Rambo 5 comes out, Stallone confirmed that he has plans for a prequel for the series. <laughs> Although he would not reprise the title role, he would like okay. to explore who Rambo was before the war. Yes. Stallone expressed interest in having Rambo take refuge in an Indian reservation for a potential sixth film. Here you go. June 2020. Amidst the coronavirus, Stallone briefly elaborated on the idea, stating, if I ever did another one, I think he would go back to the Indian reservation that he grew up on (laughs) because he has Indian family, which is the dumbest sentence that this idiot, he's so tone deaf to America right now. 
Oh my god. Oh, he's he's definitely tapped into something in America. Yeah. But do you like speaking of America, where was this movie filmed, Bob? Bulgaria? No, I thought they were in I thought they were in Texas and then they were in Mexico. What do you mean, Bob? <laughs> nope, Bulgaria. <laughs> this yeah, movie takes I'm thinking they got some choice tax breaks or something? Oh yeah. That is 100% uh, right. The film... Yeah. Uh, well, see, you can tell, though, even though it's all shot in Bulgaria, you can tell when it's in America and when it's in Mexico, because Mexico's yellow. Mm. Because they put a filter on it? Shot in Mexico is the yellowest light. It, I mean, I, it, it's the same story in a lot of movies uh, nowadays. Mexico and the Middle East, just everything's yellow. Yeah. It's easier to shoot it that way. Yeah. It's like, just use a white light. No, but it it really points out your white hero is different than the natives. Like, the filter is so ridiculous. Like, he's walking under these street lights, and they're just, like, Crayola yellow street lamps. Yeah. I don't think that's what color people use. No, it's because they don't have LEDs there. Oh. So their street lamps are a different color. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. Um, so just real quick, can you summarize the plot for us, Bob? Without too many spoilers, I mean, it is a Rambo movie, so you're going to have to give something away. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll save a couple choice details, but... Yeah, so essentially, um, John Rambo is living a peaceful life, as he does at the start of Rambo movies, um, on his family ranch with, uh, what would you call her, a housekeeper? They said that it's a family friend. Yeah, but it seems like she's doing work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this, okay, we'll call her family friend. Uh, forget her name. Maria or something. Yeah, something and, easy uh, to remember. Yeah. I because he's so old and so addled with drugs. <laughs> he is addled with drugs. Uh, so he, uh, living a peaceful life, just ranching. Just ranching uh, with the with his uh, uh, adopted family, we'll call them Maria and Gabriella. Um, Gabriella's a young, good high school age girl. Uh, Gabriella um, gets a phone call, and she thinks she's found her long lost father. So she goes to the depths of Mexico. In her like Ford, on Earth, in her very appropriate Ford Fiesta, I don't think that it's not the car, but I thought that was funny. <laughs> that was good. Well, Mexico certainly does not turn into a fiesta for her. Mm-mm. Uh, rather, it is a grande siesta uh, <laughs> as she is kidnapped, tortured, raped, and murdered by uh, uh, human traffickers. Bad guys, you might say. Not drug warlords, so, you know, didn't go with the obvious choice there, but uh, human traffickers. Uh, Rambo gets word, he goes down, tries to rescue her, she dies. And then he finishes the movie with, um, I'll call it uh, an NC-17 Home Alone sequence. (laughs) That tracks. And, uh, yeah, then, you know, he's Rambo, so he kills everyone. Um, There are some, like, light dressage scenes that I think <laughs> don't make too much sense, but they're nice. I mean, <laughs> I'm like, okay, so he's a master horseman. <laughs> All right, 
sure. Did you? I mean, that's part of his. I think that was mentioned in Rainbow Three. It's he does ride a horse in Rainbow Three. It's sure. it's machine guns, light tanks, and horse dancing. Yeah, I thought he was more of just like a forward and backward on the horse. He's doing like spins and sidestepping. It it was pretty cool actually. You might like maybe the horse is his like therapy animal, and like you know, mm-hmm. dance. Yeah, Dance is sort of his like art therapy, which you know. But yeah. also, you know what also is his therapy? Constantly building traps. Um, uh, in the, in like the steel forge <laughs> underground in his tunnels. That's right, Bob. It has to. It has to be trapping noxious gases down there. Um. I mean, it's know, Bulgaria, so it's it's anybody's it's anybody's guess, really. It just seems like that would get so hot. Yeah, that's why he's always in a tank top. It's true. Um, that's, yeah, metal. So, but yeah, digging tunnels and making weaponry and traps is wh- kind of how he blows off steam, I guess. Which you know, I guess tracks. One thing I was confused about. Were these human traffickers like trained mercenaries? Because they are they they come out in riot gear, and the one guy's using hand signals. Yeah, yeah communication. <laughs> they all they all have walkie talkies, and they're all on the right channel. I believe at one point they synchronize watches. That's not true. I made that up. But like this, the 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 human traffickers. Like, why would they have a full like paramilitary unit? And why do they go in expecting traps? Like they see, like that he like, he's right, used. You a, either know who Rambo is or you don't. He Which used to. Like by this point, he'd probably be pretty famous. I mean, right? uh, he no, he killed Osama bin Laden. You would know who Rambo is. Um, no, he came back to the states in two thousand eight, and then he right. just he just started dressage training. So the only people who would know him are like. Is it John Kerry or Mitt Romney's wife that was really into dressage? <laughs> I can't remember, but it's. Uh, I'm I'm guessing it's John Kerry's wife because the Heinz ketchup. Yeah, that is, that is a horse-faced man. <laughs> That's good double entendre there. Um, uh, so anyway, he no, he's keeping a real low pro- profile, but like. Yeah. If I were so, I'm going to kill this old man on his farm for some reason, and I roll up with my homies in my multiple, you know, armored vehicles. We're all tricked out in the latest. Uh, I counted it at least six black SUVs. <laughs> and you all see, fully equipped with fully armed men. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess they just drove from Mexico across a border checkpoint. I, maybe this is commentary on the looseness of our borders. <laughs> See, finally, I'm glad you brought this up. I'm glad you brought this up, and I didn't have to. Um, but if I drove up with my homies, and I see just a 50-foot wall of flame <laughs> in what I could only assume the earth collapsing around me, I'd yeah. be like, "Wait, why did we come up here?" And they're like, I. Did he did he kill his brother or did he just be like, hey, I'm here's my GPS coordinates? Like, why were they so mad at him? Yeah, because he chopped uh, the dude's head off. Oh yeah, 
That's like the main guy's brother, the other main guy. Now, did we get that they were friends? <laughs> like, like they were. I think they, they were brothers. They seemed like they, they didn't were, like each other a lot. Oh, they were very antagonistic. Okay. But they were. I mean, they were the two main bad guys. Fair. I have no Fair. idea what their roles were in the organization, but you know. I hope it was up to the. Kind of signal they're the main guys. I hope they were doing some, you know, high level executive stuff because otherwise. This was way above their pay grade, sort of stuff. Yeah. 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 So. I, I mean. So I, I see. Would, why would the leader be going out there like, being the point man? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they didn't have drones. This is, this is a bad choice by these Mexican dudes. So. So you see a fifty-foot wall of flame, and you're like, nah, not worried. And then people start getting picked off, and you're like, mm, not worried. And they're like, mm-hmm. hey, let's go into these let's well well lit tunnels. Yeah run into these tunnels. Because no one has ever gotten killed in a tunnel. Tunnels? Safe place to be. Right. Uh, a strange tunnel. And... In a uh, war zone. Right. Maybe, see, this... Uh, if they did know who Rambo was, though, that would have... They would have been like, we gotta stay out of the tunnels because he knows... He learned a lot from the Viet Cong. Which exactly. is always really weird in all of the Rambo movies when he becomes the Viet Cong... And the audience is always, uh, as an audience member, I'm always conflicted as to, now who am I supposed to be rooting for right now? And Is this good? Right. Should I want him to cover himself in mud and open his eyes and that's the first time I see him? I don't know. Should, I don't know. Should I run a tank into a helicopter? That seems like... Obviously, yes. That is that a metaphor for mutually mutually assured destruction? I would say no because he doesn't die. So bad analogy. <laughs> yeah. See, I mean, I feel like you know he becomes the Viet Cong. So you know, we can go back to First Blood. Okay. Which let's just say is an excellent movie. I would use the word film unironically when I describe Rambo. Hundred percent. I would say it's an action film. film. But it's film. Action, thriller, film. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you have this vet coming home. He's not welcome in America. We're kind of kind of picking that up. Um, you know, he's, he's an outcast. Uh, ahead of its time and right. strangely present for today because the movie does really demonstrate just what police brutality looks like. Right. Um, although it's, you know, against a white man. Um, but I do but think they do a good job of like how arbitrary something has to be before force yes. is used. But yeah, no, that's true. So then, you know, he gets in this chase and he starts using these uh, guerrilla tactics to defend himself and basically foil, you know, a hundred man army trying to hunt him down. Right. And yeah, I mean, I guess we're supposed to sympathize with his use of the tactics because. I mean, I feel like we learned that they're effective. Yeah. Also, I would argue that... We lost the Vietnam War because the guerrilla tactics were so effective. And the title sort of plays in, which, you know, he, he uses the title in the movie. He's like, I didn't draw first blood, they did. So it's like, right. I'm not starting a war, I'm defending myself. He doesn't even kill anyone in the first movie. Uh... You could argue that he kills the one guy. One guy dies, but by accident. Right? Well, 
I mean, you could argue the whole thing, like, he threw the rock, but yes, it's, I mean, it's, you could defend it as manslaughter one, and he could get off with good, sure. good, uh, the good jury. But yes, yeah. and then Rambo First Blood Part 2 rolls around. Perfect. First Blood Part 2. Perfect title for the movie, by the way. <laughs> Oh, I think one of the great sequel names in movie history. It goes Godfather Part Two, First Blood uh, Part Two. Those those are the title rankings. And Aliens with an S. I think those too, are my Too Fast, Too Furious. Okay, you you did it. You got me. That's that's on the list. Totally forgot. The <laughs> sequel <laughs> title <laughs> names. Yeah. So yeah, so Rambo Two rolls a lot around, and it's all about. 80s patriotism and POWs, which I don't know if you've, you know, been caught up on kind of the modern understanding of the MIA POW situation in Vietnam. But I mean, you know, we were born in the 80s. We grew up like I saw cars with POW MIA yeah. bumper stickers on them. Yes. I've seen them my whole life. I don't see them too much anymore because that was mostly made up. Oh. Like, there weren't really, like, MIA soldiers. Interesting. In Vietnam. Like, Nixon had to, like, juke the numbers. So there was this difference in soldiers, so people thought that there were, like, tens of thousands of missing soldiers. Oh, my and God. It just, it just wasn't the case. I didn't know that. Yeah. And, like, and POWs, like, they weren't kept after the war was over. Like, they were... I mean, sure, some of them were killed, but, you know, they were either killed or released. They weren't kept there like through the 80s right um but it's yeah it's all about him going back into vietnam and as he says to colonel troutman do you do in this time yeah and you know what you know no it was up to him yeah because before because before you know it it wasn't (laughs) it wasn't up to him (laughs) it wasn't up to him and as they get into two yeah it really he they really rip um, military cowardice and uh, cowardice of the civilian response. And computers really get they get torn a new one. Computers, oh, am I right? Some so sparks are on computers blown up in this movie. It's pretty cool. Like, where were you when I needed you, computers? Nowhere. Useless. Right. So he out guerrillas the guerrillas mm-hmm. in Rambo: First Blood. And he also has to fight the Soviets because who's the real enemy in the 80s? Not Vietnam anymore. Yeah, Yeah, it's not Vietnam. It's, it's, uh, yeah, the evil Soviets. And who's the enemy of my enemy? That's right, the Taliban. (laughs) And Rambo teams up with... After he learns how to play... Fight off Soviet Russia and Afghanistan. (laughs) Oh, boy. Does he ever? Uh, It's... Fun. Well, to be fair, that is not the only um, 80s action franchise to team up with guerrilla Afghan fighters to fight Soviets because James Bond did it in The Living Daylights. Oh. Same thing. Teams up with uh, Afghani guerrilla guerrilla fighters. And, uh, yeah, rides around on horses and blows stuff up. It's like, cool. That the, I'm seeing this through a slightly different lens in the, uh, let's say, post-9-11 uh, world. Yeah, I'm still working my way through uh, the Muhajadeen um, Wikipedia page because it is dense. All right, that's all I'm saying. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think Mujahideen just means guerrilla fighter. 
Oh. Maybe it's like a religious guerrilla fighter. Okay. But like, I don't think it's an organized group. That would that it. I've learned a lot from the Wikipedia page, but I have not exhausted it yet. So, <laughs> it is overwhelming at best. Because <laughs> to be fair, it's easy to make you know the Taliban or Al Qaeda joke, but yeah, I like they're just guerrilla fighters. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was that was insane. Uh, truly, truly, just such a departure from the first movie <laughs> that um, so different. I mean, at one point, I think I think it was two, and three might have taken the title too. But at one point, Rambo two had the most on-screen kills in any movie. I believe it was two. Yeah. Yeah, it, it had you know an enormous budget for the time and just insane levels of violence and yeah you know first blood is mostly him hiding yeah and reacting <laughs> right right just yeah totally different uh feel to it and then yeah we kind of we can go f- forward on to rambo in the saga uh where he's uh what, what would you say he's just kind of like hanging around working on jobs in burma no, he's catching snakes. Um, he's big. Snakes. He's a snake catcher, uh, which I do have to point out. Like the the through line of all the movies, the sort of the connective tissue besides the main character and his past, they do a, a fairly they do a better job than most because, like in the first movie, he's taken away in handcuffs. In the second movie, we see him working in a prison labor camp. Yeah, he's like in a quarry or something. And then he receives a necklace from the woman he loves who's murdered. And then in the third movie, he gives the necklace to, a, 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 a I'm assuming, a Taliban boy. He will grow up to be part of the Taliban. Um, he will. He flew one of the planes. <laughs> oh, no. And then um, in Rambo 4, we see him living his days in uh, Thailand, which is where he was at the beginning of Rambo 3. So there yes. Even yeah. though like time moves on in these in the Rambo verse, they give you slight nods to to people who've seen movies before. Yes. Yeah. That that's true. There's a bit of a through line. But well, I and I would say the main through line <laughs> And increasingly throw, so throughout the series is just an, an ever-increasing level of reactionary violence in politics. <laughs> the, it, yeah, by, it is... by the time of the last two movies is just it like it's just bloodlust. Yeah, killing. distinctly asymmetrical violence. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah, at one point in Rambo Four, he uses. I'm assuming a 50 caliber uh, armored weapon to turn men into wet dust. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it. Um, I don't know where, where I read this. I think it was a review by uh, the writer Sean Collins. Um, he said he made an analogy. Um, he analogized the violence in the movies um, that. Wait, which movies? In Rambo. Oh, okay. Yeah, that one had some violence in it, you're right. Namely, yeah, the Rambo 4, uh, Rambo, um, 
how the main action scene is him, yeah, on a turreted gun, just just exploding people, <laughs> and how it's like you know this movie was made in two thousand eight, was that right? Yes, um, or was released. Uh, so we are in deep in the war on terror. Um, it is pre-Obama, but uh, you know it's safe to say the drone warfare had started by this point. And, you know, like, that's kind of the, uh, maybe not the main type of violence, but I feel like the most notorious type of violence that we've used in the Middle East is just chucking drones up in the air and, yeah. you know, firing death from above, uh, you know, with someone on a joystick a thousand miles away. Right. And so he's at this turret, not even moving, and just, you know, he takes out like a hundred man army. Right. He screams a little bit. Does that count? He definitely yells. Yeah, yeah. He's got a good yelling face. There's like a there's a real asymmetry to it. Um, fun fact: we keep calling it Rambo because that's what it was called. But they also had some other working titles that made more sense. Uh, John Rambo, um, just because yeah. it came out oh, right as Rocky right. Balboa. Rocky Balboa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Rambo Four, which makes sense. The fake working title in the United States was Rambo First Blood Part 4. That would have oh been perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Why didn't you do that? And then we got three... Ooh, four. See, yeah, maybe the last one should have been called Rambo First Blood, Last Blood. Rambo colon First Blood colon Last Blood. Or Last First Blood, maybe. Yeah. But uh, Rambo 4... The last Rambo First Blood. Part one. <laughs> um, they were also some other working titles were "To Helen Back," which is okay. "End of Peace," which is all right. "Pearl of the Cobra," which is nonsense, and then "In the Serpent's Eye," which isn't if bad. I'm, if I'm going to see a movie called "The Pearl of the Cobra," there better be some like kung fu or something. Yeah. Uh, no, that was you're thinking of Rainbow Three that had the Thai stick fighting. I know why you mix those up. That's everybody yeah. makes that mistake. mistake. Everybody makes that mistake. Um, okay, so now, what what about Rainbow Five? What about Last Blood? It's um, it starts Rainbow where Rainbow Five Last Watch. No, that wouldn't work because Last Watch means something. Point being, uh, Rambo. Hopefully, last time I watched this movie. Zing. Got him. Not very good and <laughs> quite potentially very offensive. Only to people <laughs> who've seen it. Only to, yeah, you know, apathetic people. Right. Um, yeah, it is. Um, it's basically MAGA the movie <laughs> in, in some ways. Yeah. Make um, Bulgaria America again. Yeah, I, I mean, there's literally like, there's a point in the movie, just about an hour in, after Gabriella dies and he goes to say goodbye to Maria or whatever, she she goes to do her own thing, and like the way that his goodbye scene is shot, and like the music in it, you're like, well, this movie could just end, like, yeah, yeah, yeah like the the daughter, you know, Gabriella dies and. Yeah, like that's really tragic. Right. And they could just leave this alone and they'll probably be fine. And then the last 
half hour is just him exercising revenge. Just pure revenge. And going across the border and just... So he, he drives across the... First of all, when he brings Gabriella back, I, I'm he just, he's just driving through Border Patrol right. with a corpse in the car. A, a drug, like, destroyed child's body. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then the second time, after he goes back, he kills some dudes... He uh, chops a guy's head off. Then he drives through Border Patrol again with a head in his lap. <laughs> and then he drops the head out on the highway. You know, God knows how far he drove with the head in his lap. <laughs> I thought he had a cooler. I thought that was implied in one of the scenes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like in a rat race. You know, it's like a cooler. Oh, I did see that movie, too. Yeah. Oh, family loved that movie when I was younger. Big Mr. Bean fan? Yes. <laughs> it wasn't a, a question. Thing. It was more of just an acknowledgement that that's the only <laughs> reason anybody saw that movie. <laughs> I mean, personally, I was a big uh, Brecken Meyer head. That seems unlikely, but I'll, I'll, I'll believe you. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, and then he drives back, and then six, six to six cars full of guys <laughs> which I mean I, I tried to count the amount of people he killed in the tunnel I, I really lost track but it has to be more than can fit in six cars <laughs> it, was, it was so many people like it was too many people <laughs> but, so speaking of that scene I wrote down some of my favorite kills okay um, I'm ready I don't know if you did but I'll just say I, I wrote down um these phrases um spike pit slash machine gun <laughs> because why not <laughs> yeah you know two guys fall in a spike pit uh they become impaled multiple times they're clearly already dead right he just loads them up with 20 bullets each. <laughs> um uh claymore oh yeah Th- i think that's a callback the uh the three dudes in the tunnel with a claymore that just Vaporize their bodies. I think that's a callback to the to the third movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> callback. Um, I liked the um, the the two blades in the face. Yeah, that's pretty brutal though. That was a pretty messed up one to see. And then the bullet floor, <laughs> which, which I, I was probably the most inventive one. It that's I've seen that in like. Something. Like something out of Saw or something. Yeah, that makes more Some, sense. Maybe. Definitely. Uh, bullet floor was cool. And again, must have been pretty high caliber bullets because that dude's body went bye-bye. <laughs> he, yeah, he became part of, like, blood ceiling. It, it went from bullet floor to blood ceiling. That's, <laughs> it's, it is outrageous. It is unsafe. I'm just glad he remembered where all these traps were because it was... I know he he knows the tunnels back and forth, but he just made all these adjustments. So like, I know that's you're playing with fire at that point. He yeah he like the night before he just uh, home aloneified his right. compound. And you know he needs to sleep because he's getting older. Right, it's dangerous. It's like a central silver. <laughs> Had to get some sleep. He needs a good five. 
you know, he doesn't need the he doesn't need eight like he used to, but he still needs a strong five if he's going <laughs> to murder all of the men, every single person. Yeah. Nineteen thousand really extras all murdered by John Rambo. <laughs> and there, there, there's just some things in the movies like. Um... So you know, uh, the guy cuts his cheek. He gives him the big X on his cheek. Oh yeah. It's like it's like cut him deep. Mm-hmm. And so presumably he does cut him deep, and he has these big nasty cuts. And then you know, so he gets the cuts. He goes. He rescues Gabriella. He comes back home, and then he's saying goodbye to uh, the abuela. And it's it's a scar on his cheek by that point. Oh yeah. How much time has passed? Well, see, I'm going to draw your attention. I'm going to draw your attention to the third movie when he uses um, gunpowder to heal himself. Oh, he did the gunpowder heal off screen. No, it was on screen. You just missed it. That's okay. It's no, it's, I mean in in Last Blood. No, yeah, no, he he did it like really fast. Yeah, like you probably yeah. missed it. Yeah, it's because technology has improved so much that like. He just has an app. He has an applicator. You know, it's like it's like liquid, liquid glue. No, that's the wrong phrase. Uh, what, what are the stitches? There's like liquid stitches, something like that. Um, maybe I watched the extended version. That's that probably is it. It was 243 minutes. <laughs> no, I did watch the extended version because it's free on Amazon. Yeah, no, of course I did. That's extended. I guess from 90 to 100 minutes? Yeah. I think is something like what I read. God knows what the extra scenes were. Probably mm-hmm. the horse dancing. No, that's, I mean, that's canon. <laughs> that had to have been in, you know. The, uh, that makes him very uh, relatable <laughs> as a hero. <laughs> uh, yeah, just, um, man, like there's a, a line even in the beginning of the movie where he's like, Outside that fence, you got no control. And it's like, yeah, all right, man. Yeah, protect your homeland and don't let any foreign invaders in your uh, on your property. But then he does. He does. He draws them back. He goads them. He invites them. Right. And then, after he's murdered, you know, on the on the conservative side. 250 men. After he's yeah. killed 250 men, he just rides his horse away. <laughs> like... Open wounds. And he explodes like 2012 or 2012, the movie with John Cusack, explodes the ground to the, yeah. to the effect that someone's gonna wonder what happened here. <laughs> like... <laughs> There's going to be some questions from the sheriff. And he's like, I'm just going to ride my horse to Thailand. That's where I understand things. They're like, oh, boy. So you um, you kind of went into the background, the uh, the um, trials and tribulations that went into making this movie. Uh, did you read about the true life story that is really similar to this movie? No. It may have influenced uh, some of the, the events. I did not. So I got linked to, you know, some post uh, telling the story of a man, somewhat, somewhat recently, last ten years or so, um, and I think this was in Mexico. It's a Mexican man. Actually, I should oh, 
maybe I should fast forward the story. Okay. Uh, a group of Mexican, they were either police or military, uh, you know, got a call to check out this house. And they go and they check it out, and they're just like bodies in the yard. Oh, no. And like clearly like explosions around this house. Oh, my God. That, you know, the remnants of explosions. And they're like, what the fuck happened? Right. So they, you know, they tack up and they, they go into the house and they find two wounded men uh, who were part of a gang or, or cartel or something. And then the dead owner of the house oh. is in the house. And okay. so I guess these two living guys then tell the story that... Uh, the day before the attack happened, this cartel goes to the man, the owner of the house, and says, they're like, I don't know if he owed them something or if they're trying to extort them, but they say, you have to give up this property. You have 24 hours to leave. And he's like, come and get it. Oh, so, no. Uh, so he prepares his house. He leaves a gun and ammunition at every window in the house. And he, like... Um, I think he may have been in the armed service. He had hunted his whole life, mm-hmm. so he had like, a lot of weapons. Sure. And, But he also had like grenades and stuff, so he was oh. finding some of the stuff too. So the cartel comes, and he just starts wasting these guys. And I'm, he defends his house to the end, and you know he ended up dying in the attack, but he killed like 12 guys. Oh my god. Yeah. And then, you know, presumably they're the few guys that were left, you know, got the hell out of there. Um, and Sylvester yeah. Stallone says, I know who the hero here is. Uh-huh. But yeah, I'll do him one better. <laughs> what if I live at the end? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I prefer my heroes who don't get killed in the end. <laughs> Just like America. Uh-huh. That is outrageous. And sadly, way too, way too real, way too real. Uh, I think this is a good time. We're going to take a break and we'll be back in just a minute with some criteria to tell you which one of these movies with last in their title was the better one. And we're back. Uh, We've got some criteria here to decide which movie with last in their title is the better movie of these two. We've got Rambo, Last Blood, and The Last Emperor. Uh, Whenever we talk about movies, which we often do, Bob and I, uh, we talk about which one is more rewatchable. So we talk about its rewatchability. We also talk about, um, today we're talking about cinematography. Both of these movies are very long. Uh, So which one did a better job not necessarily with the story, uh, but with the visual storytelling. Um, we mentioned which one of these movies truly was the last. So how did they tell the story in a way that led us to believe that they didn't put the word last in there just to grab our attention, that it really ended something? And then last of all, which one... Ah, last of all. There you go. That's that's a fun Easter egg. Um, which one of these wraps up the story or the series in a way that sort of acknowledges everything that came before it? 
um, and lets you know that this is the perfect way to end things. Uh, where do you want to start, Bob, with our criteria? Um, let's uh, go through them in the order you, you laid out. All right. Sounds good to me. So which one of these movies are you going to rewatch again? Tough call, right? It's really a tough call. Um, man, if I'm guessing which one I'm actually going to rewatch more, right. it's probably going to be Rambo. Right. Um, Last Emperor is so long. Yeah. It's it's just hard to find, like, I've got a free two hours and 40 minutes. I'm going to go watch this. You know, very emotional story. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah, very powerful and sad and tragic. You know, it's essentially kind of the tragedy of this guy's life. Um, good movie. I don't know. I don't know when the next time we're going to see it is. But Rambo, oh, look, Rambo is one of the series that I'm just going to do like a series rewatch on every once in a while. And Rambo Last Blood is going to be part of that. It has to be, because it's the last one, right, Bob? Although, I could just watch that movie and then watch the end credits, uh, where they just recap all five movies in the Rambo series, including the one we just watched. I think that's perfect uh, setup for our next one. Which one do you think gives sort of a nod to its roots? Like, acknowledges that this is not, yes, this is the last, but this was not where it started. Um, I loved the montage. I'm a hundred percent really good. I'm a hundred percent going with that. Uh, I'm also saying I'm gonna rewatch Last Blood before I rewatch Emperor Emperor's New Groove because it's There's so. <laughs> oh, that's sad. Um, just because it's so, it's so long, and it's so tragic and it's so and it's so emotional like it's tragic at times but at all at other times i'm like oh this is uplifting and it's like oh man and you got to pay attention to like if i rewatched it i would have i would understand more just like how certain characters develop and everything right right and there are yeah there's it's a complicated plot yes which it should be because it's a man's the life. The history of China is complicated. Even more, yeah. China. I saw the I saw the movie Hero. I know that. Absolutely, I didn't see it. Um, but yeah, but Rambo does. Uh, yeah, good job. You know, hints back a little bit uh, uh, to Rambo, the man's history. But then, yeah, it it has all five movies in the movie at the end. Yeah. Which I, I would say the the last emperor doesn't really acknowledge previous emperors. We uh, see the yeah. empress explicitly. I yes. Say. Like, yes. You get the forbidden city, and lurking in the background is kind of the weight of history of of that whole area of the world. But yeah, like no previous emperor like mattered. And we don't really get to see like the first emperor or like That's true. Um, what the best emperor looked like or like an emperor that China appreciated. Right. Or, and I think that's what we're, we're kind of missing that. And you mentioned how, you know, this is a story that 
it's the first time an American, well, a Western audience has ever seen any of this stuff, and I feel that that's kind of missing. Is a f- but uh, granted, then yeah, we would need we would need a, a ten way, hour movie. In a way, the movie had like more firsts than lasts. That's a good way to put it. So, what do you think? Which one do you think did a better job of wrapping up and nodding to the to what came before? Rambo: Last Blood. Of course. Okay. Jr. There. Which one do you think did a better job with cinematography? Which movie do you think had a better was a better visual story? Now that one is easy. The Last Emperor. Okay. Um, it, just a beautiful movie. Um, between the the set dressings, the costume. Um, was really pretty. Uh, they had a lot of really nice, like wide shots throughout the movie, kind of you know establishing shots was cool, and their use of color I thought was interesting. Okay. Um, there's a lot of yellow and gold, mm-hmm. kind of like yeah, the royal yellow is yeah, mentioned in that one scene. China. Yeah. Right. Um, there's a lot of red. Uh, Forbidden City has a lot of red in it, mm-hmm. and you know also nods to uh, communist China um, and there was I would say I really noticed it mostly in his post flight section mm-hmm. like mostly when he was in Tianjin and Manchuko yeah. there was a lot of blue yeah. uh, used in scenes yes um, the, all the prisoners wear it too shining in you know through windows you know there's some out, out, outdoor scenes that are like entirely shot in a blue filter um, so yeah, just very visually striking. I really liked when he he's been wearing um, Western clothes like suits and the the um, glasses and the hats, yeah. and he's doing the two step. And then we cut to him compromising all that so that he can be emperor again, and he's in the you know the regal clothing again and everyone's dressed to receive him back in Manchuria Japanese invaded Manchuria and like that is such a striking scene and we see him walk up to this um throne that overlooks everything but it's literally empty like it's yeah if if you it could have been so easy to botch that but it's done it, it hits you over the head with it visually, but it's such a subtle scene because no one has to say anything. Like the only, the only like dialogue is between the cousin and then the the wife, and how they. She's like, I hate China, and she's like, I hate yeah. you, and like yeah. they they took that scene which they could have easily said a stupid line and just knocked the audience and over the head with the the like the moment but they actually develop that relationship more and you're like wow right it's actually yeah like a personal scene that i mean out of that whole two hour 40 minute movie like that is one of the scenes that sticks out in like my mind's eye like i can picture that whole scene because yeah you see him walk up and then there's that real wide shot of him on the hill and the throne yeah. overlooking like a factory or something right right Okay, and last of all, which one of these movies was truly the last of it? So, 
after you see Rambo Last Blood, you're like, this is clearly his last blood. He's done blooding. And then Last Emperor, you're like, China's not going to have any more emperors. Which one do you think did it best? So, yeah, as you say, it it is a tough theoretical choice, but I will say that um, the very last shot in Last Blood made me think that well, wait, now you're leaving the door open. Intentionally so, yeah. <laughs> on his horse, it's like, well, wait, is he going to go find another adventure? Right. On his horse? There's, there's going to be more blood. Oh my god, so much more blood. Um, but the Last Emperor, I mean, Puyi is the Last Emperor. So, that's it. I would argue, I think they they do an, an amazing scene when, uh, when he is the, just before he goes... So there's like three final scenes. One, when they have uh, the final scene when it's like they're taking a tour through the Forbidden City. That's supposed to be that. So apparently that takes place in 1987 when the when the film is uh, made. The scene before that, when like the little boy comes, when he's in the throne room, right? Yeah, with the little boy. And then before that, when they have the uh, parade down the and. You see, yeah, the, you see the, everyone. The yes, thank you. You see everyone freaking out and like singing and dancing and yeah. marching, all to like a picture of Mao. And you're like, yeah. oh, they have just taken one emperor away and given given it over to someone else. But right, and that, yeah, with all the it was all the kids playing the accordions and right. the girls doing the real coordinated dance it was like this is the same level of pageantry yes as any royal you know show right however uh at the end end scene so like if that had been the final scene i would have been like oh maybe they'd have a new emperor but really like the final scene is the forbidden city is full of the people you know so like which right it's pretty easy to argue that Chinese communism isn't as ideal communism as laid out uh, ideologically, but I do think that, sure. that the again, with the cinematography, it ends with, like, this is not where, you know, the leader is anymore. This is ancient history, and now people yeah. come to the Forbidden City. So I'm going to say, I, ge- I guess the last emperor is truly the last emperor. You have Chinese communism, and while I think Bertolucci... He doesn't really pick a side and saying like, "Oh, they're bad" or right. "This is good." Yeah. Um, but I do think that there is there's probably a pretty easy argument to make that it's better than a an emperor like a dictatorship. Right. Like you know, uh, I was talking with someone and about like the Russian Revolution. And I was like, "Yeah, okay, like Soviet Union might have been bad, but like it's not good to be ruled by a czar." Either. Right. <laughs> like, that and that's yeah. Too. I think that's... Did you ever see uh, Russian Ark? Russian Ark? It's like the movie that's the longest single shot in in cinema. Oh, no. So anyway, it's about... It follows like a day in the life of... Or it follows like a century in the life of Russia, but it takes place in less than two hours. And it's yeah. just like you yeah. see all the... All the uh, you know the bourgeois like dancing all the royalty dancing and then like 
the next scene is like them being thrown down and murdered because like these people haven't got to you know eat and <laughs> these people yeah, are right. dancing in clothes that cost more than their city so yeah like yeah there was definitely still uh starvation before right. Russian communism <laughs> right <laughs> being a peasant serf is like one of the worst existences in history allegedly being being a peasant serf was like a step above an american slave right insane shit life yeah and uh so with that we've got uh rambo last blood and the last emperor are tied bob (laughs) well equally uh as good of movies i think is what we concluded here i think because the the last emperor is it's not a movie to be rewatched, and I don't think it was meant to be. It's not really, no. It's it's just not one of those movies. That's just like a, holy shit, I just experienced that whole thing. I'm going to think about that for a while. Right. And, uh, I, you know, consumability is definitely a factor in films, but I wish Rambo yes. First Blood was 90 minutes. That's, I'm definitely, t- if it had to be about length, I would I would rather the Last Emperor be longer and Last Blood be shorter. Yes, oh, I'll agree there. Um, yeah, I can I can chew on the Last Emperor for a while. Um, and it's one of those movies that I did like the next day. It sent me down like a four-hour Wikipedia rabbit hole. Oh yeah. Of like reading about Puyi's life, and then oh, you wrote this autobiography, and then oh, I'm gonna read about the Opium Wars, right. and then. Oh man, I'm gonna read about uh, you know the global silver trade in the 16th century, and then like yeah, it had me all over the place. You learn a lot in a little bit of time. I really learned a lot. Learn yeah. a lot, yeah. That's you know I I consider myself a bit of a history buff, but I don't know a whole lot about like Eastern history. It's thousands of years old and incredibly complicated. Just, so <laughs> I know, yeah. It, I mean, yeah, China's what, like a 3,000 year continuous yeah. <laughs> cultural yeah. uh, entity. And the fact is, like, oh, you know, America has a very storied past, but it's complicated because yeah. we have so many people that live here. And, you know, if you live in New York City, you live in California, you live in, you know, the Midwest, you live in the Southwest, all of those are different histories, and they all, yeah. you know, are individual but they also are bigger of you know part of a bigger tapestry we'll take that and then have a billion and then yeah. have it just as big as America. so big and <laughs> yeah. like the ecosystems are different the geographies are different like like just as varied but yeah they're different multiple languages multiple religions like just it's it's a lot it's a lot and they three-something thousand-year-old written history. <laughs> yeah, written, yeah. <laughs> Recorded history. We're like, uh, history starts in 500 B.C., and China's like, yeah. what? <laughs> like, like when you look at, you know, like the founding of America or China, right. you know, you're like, oh, I can read 10,000 books about <laughs> George Washington right. and Thomas Jefferson. Right. And then I'm reading about Chinese emperors and, like, the... Like they track their dynasties back to the quote legendary times. <laughs> you know, like their history isn't even exact. They go back so far. Right. They use the word circa, 
in their history book. All right. <laughs> they don't even know if these people existed that go back so far. And that's what the movie Heroes about, and I really think you'll like it. It's got mm-hmm. it's got visual language at the Wahoo. You'll love it. Uh, the Last Airbender gets into Chinese. Stuff, oof. Right? oof. Oof. The M Night Shyamalan one. I don't know. I, okay. I only know that name. <laughs> Oof. I don't know what the last Airbender is. Is it it's, Japanese? It's got last in it. But we could have seen it. Yeah, you're not wrong. Could have watched it. Uh, you know, we could always do it again. There's plenty of last movies on here. Speaking of which, uh, we'll be back in just a minute with a recommendation for a movie that has last in the title. And we're back. Uh... Bob and I have been talking about movies with last in the title, and today we've got two recommendations for you. Bob, do you want to go first, or you want me to go first? Yeah, I can't get enough of movies with last in the title. Um, and I'll make my recommendation to you today. It's Save the Last Dance. Okay. Uh, the 2001 blockbuster Julia Stiles joint. Um, I, I feel like... Um, Dance movies were really big in the uh, in the aughts. I'd say that yeah. had a really good run from like yeah 2001 or so to like 2006. Step up. Like oh, step up to the streets. Rise to a lesser degree. Bring it on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, say last dance was definitely on the early kind of wave of those movies. You know, there's some good. Uh, street style dancing mm-hmm. um, and yeah you know that's about it great it's good good dancing yeah yeah um, I'm gonna go with uh, the like quasi historical uh, very problematic but very entertaining last factually true <laughs> the last samurai uh, fun fact the Wikipedia page will give you some facts um, that the movie <laughs> didn't completely mess up however it, it did miss most of the marks um, but it is a very entertaining story it's in a lot of ways it's dances with wolves but uh, Japanese culture instead of Native American culture mm-hmm. Um it is a very entertaining story. It does have ninjas in it fighting samurai. Uh, of, again, historically, oh, inac- yes. historically inaccurate. But uh, very cool. It made $456 million against a budget of 100... Against a $140 million budget, which is incredible. Just amazing. Um... It is a very way more money than I would have guessed. It is a very watchable movie. Uh, costumes amazing, score very good. Uh, Ken Watanabe, yeah, Ken Watanabe, amazing actor. Oh yeah, he's great. Um, Tom Cruise, you know, uh, just like we were saying before, we have no, um, you know, political problems with any of the guys we've talked about today. And uh, Tom Cruise is just another guy that's like, hey, can I ride your coattails to Bizarro Heaven, Mr. Cruise? You know, like... uh, Tom Cruise, just a normal guy with normal thoughts. Who loves his wife, loved his wife a lot. Um, But, like, every time he's in a movie, 
uh, after a certain point, like I can't stand by the movie Cocktail, um, but after a certain <laughs> point, almost every movie Tom Cruise is in, I'm like, that's a pretty good movie. Now, you know, I love, yeah, I, I'm a huge Cruise apologist. For every mission, I don't feel like I have to apologize for him. For every for Mission Impossible him. Four, no, that's the thing is, for every Mission Impossible Four, there's going to be a mummy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, that's true. He makes a lot of movies. But, uh, this is one yeah, of the good ones. Stuff like Edge of Tomorrow. Right. Or, you know, something totally badass. And I thought this movie was a very good movie in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. It has a lot of flaws. It is a blockbuster movie. It, it's a fun cruise movie. It is not even close to Last Emperor uh, like quality when it comes to historical oh, really? epics. But it is a good movie that I liked watching. Yes. And that's what the recommendations are all about. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, Bob, we're starting a new segment. You are uh, are the inaugural member of a new segment on the podcast I'm calling the Snack Attack. Um, Snack Attack, Seggy. I've been listening to an insane amount of this podcast called Doughboys, uh, yeah, which, is a, which is about chain restaurants. Doughboys. Yeah, it's... I've listened to I well over... He's so good. I've listened to like well over a like fifty episodes, which is just about sixty hours plus of these two guys. And um, I've there's another segment. That, so they have a segment called Snack or Whack, and then uh, Drink or Stink. Um, and then there's another podcast called My Brother, My Brother and Me, and they have uh, one of my favorite things. It's called Munch Squad where one of the brothers reads um, like a funny press release from a restaurant or food business. And so today we're uh, with our snack attack in um, true uh, comparing apples to oranges fashion. We're going to compare two things that are in the same category that don't belong in the same genre. We have two celebrity-owned business foods. One's a food, one's a drink. Um, So... Are you familiar with either of the two things in front of you? Um, I'm familiar with the concept of skinny girl. Okay, so we yeah, that, we have housewife, right? You you got it. Bethany Frankel, um, I'm not going to mention her age, is an American reality TV personality, entrepreneur, and author. Um, she rose to prominence as a very debatable word wikipedia as a contestant on the reality competition series the apprentice martha stewart edition um she then went on to eight of 12 seasons of real housewives of new york city yeah she's new york that's right um just a quick let's talk about skinny girl okay it is a life it says it's a lifestyle brand um so yeah it says finally a snack that lets you live a little and love yourself for it. With fewer calories Aww. and better ingredients, Skinny Girl Popcorn is bringing you flavors with a real twist created with our friends at Orville Redenbacher, which is um, a branch of ConAgra. So it says, with Skinny Girl Popcorn, you have it all. A balanced lifestyle with delicious, smart products that help you celebrate the things you love. No guilt, no hassle. Um... Last of all, it says, What started with Skinny Girl Margarita from the mind of the author, chef, 
TV star and entrepreneur Bethany Frankel has turned, quite frankly, into a lifestyle revolution. Oh. And I'm going to stop reading um, that. And then... I first heard of Skinny Girl when I was working for a liquor distributor. We picked up Skinny Girl... So I there, guess it was margarita. Was there's first. that's the first. They and have a skinny girl vodka, I believe. I believe they have, um, like rose, or possibly yes, mus- they do And I think they have a moscato too. They do wine. Um, should I get into my thoughts on Skinny Girl, the brand itself now? Oh, if you have, yeah, okay. absolutely. Because I feel like because I'm looking at this bag of popcorn, and it's. Skinny girl popcorn. So when it was uh, before I popped it, I was like, "All right, cool. This is just like a standard bag of popcorn." Mm-hmm. And then I popped it, well, and I realized, "Oh, this is like a small yeah. bag of popcorn." Yeah, it's it's um, it's actually two thirds of what the regular popcorn bag is. What I've gathered, I think that's all Skinny Girl is is just smaller portion things. Yeah, it's called fasting. It's like, like the Skinny Girl vodka is. I think it's only 30% alcohol. Oh, no. All of the flavor, none of the taste. Alcohol is, you know, the thing that contributes the calories. So yeah. you cut 25% of the alcohol out, right. you cut 25% of the calories out. Aww. And the same with the margarita. They're just lower alcohol drinks than right. their standard counterpart. So I think that's all Skinny Girl does is just smaller portions. So in front of us, we've got some popped Skinny Girl uh, sea salt and butter flavor. And then uh, I believe you... So And then we've got a Body Armor Super Drink Superior Hydration. Mine's Fruit Punch. Okay, you have Orange Mango. Um, Let me read this to you. Body Armor Super Drink, stylized as all caps body armor is an American sports drink and partially owned subsidiary of Coca-Cola. Um, it was founded by Lance Collins, founder of Fuse Beverage and NOS Energy Drink. You're like, oh. but you're like, hey, those aren't, he's not a celebrity. In March 2013, Kobe Bryant purchased a large stake in the company, joining the board of directors and becoming the third largest shareholder, a position oh. that uh, his widow Vanessa still holds. So, these are celebrity-owned snacks, but the celebrity's name isn't in it. Because this is not like, okay. you know, like your, your Paul Newman salsa and your Rachel right. Ray spaghetti yeah, sauce. Exactly. But these are, for some reason, <laughs> they are, these celebrities have decided to make snacks. And we're going to try them and tell you which one's which. Uh, just real quick, in the summer of 2018, Coca-Cola purchased a minority stake in the company of Body Armor to position it as the premium sports drink above its own Powerade brand. Um, some of the fun facts about... It has no artificial sweeteners, flavors, or dyes. It's potassium-packed electrolytes, and I don't think that's how that sentence should work. It's got coconut yeah. water, vitamins, antioxidants, and a whopping... 28 grams of sugar. Now, it's not added sugar, so it's like good sugar, but 28 grams is, I think, 2 grams under the male uh, recommended dose and maybe 3 over the female recommended dose of... Well, mine says a percent on it. It says 
26 grams added sugar, which is 52%. Yeah, that's that's debatable. But anyway, uh, right. so we're going to eat a little bit and drink a little bit. I don't know if we're supposed to shake the drink before we drink it or whatever. I didn't see any stuff at the bottom. Okay. Okay, so the popcorn is... Uh, one thing that I did notice, that w- which was exciting, is that... Um, oh, no. Almost well over 90% of the kernels got popped, so that's good. However... Oh, I poured mine out. But, yeah, however... Good. You'd like to see that. Um... There is almost no flavor to this thing. <laughs> See, I'm getting, I feel like, an appropriate amount of salt. But it claims to be a butter yeah. salt popcorn. There's no butter on this. Um, do you like uh, microwave popcorn? I should have led with that before we started denouncing anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, love it. Do you doctor no, your own... Really... Do you doctor your popcorn after you pop it? Not microwave popcorn. I do typically prefer, uh, you know, pan-popped. Oh, okay. There you go. Um, and then, yeah, you know, you kind of have to make it yourself. Um, some of the best I ever had was, uh, you know, I popped it with, like, uh, some coconut oil. Oh. A little, little, like, uh, sea salt. Okay. And then a dash of truffle oil. Oh, my God. So decadent. Holy, holy cow. Amazing popcorn. Now, uh, moving on to our superior hydration super drink, is this supposed to be a Gatorade uh, alternative, or is this supposed to be, like, a juice alternative? See, I think it's supposed to be a a Gatorade um, performance-style drink. That makes perfect sense. Um, I mean, it could be a juice alternative. It's very sweet. Um, it's got right. lots of B vitamins, and I know that's important. But yeah, that's prominently um, um, displayed the uh, antioxidants and B vitamins. This has 200% of my daily folate, which I'm woefully uninformed of. Yeah, I don't know what that. that. Not sure what that is. Um, it do, mine. Yeah, I've got fruit punch. Milligram total blend. Mine's so be good. mine's fruit punch. It's not overly sweet. It's not like got the cloying um, Thunderberry flavor of like a blue Gatorade, and that's my number one go-to Gatorade is the blue one. Um, really? It it has ten. Per- purple guy. It has ten percent coconut water, mm-hmm. and I don't think I know what coconut water tastes like. I think I've had it. I'm not a fan. I've had but cucumber I, I water. No coconut. Yeah. Mine's orange mango. Um, it, it basically tastes like a sweeter orange Gatorade. Okay, so slightly sweeter. It's not, um, it's not punishing me, but yeah, I can tell that that's a sugary drink. So, which one of these do you think is better? Now, that can mean a lot of stuff. That can mean like the celebrity did it, or you just like it more. I guess it can only mean those two things. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which one is better? See, now I'm thinking of two different, of you know, of uh, different meanings of the word better here because I would say bite for bite, uh, the popcorn's better. I think it's, you know, it's not, it's not bad popcorn. It's pretty good. The salt level's good. 
Um, but it's it's two thirds of a bag. That's not enough popcorn. Right. So I don't know if I would. I mean, I wouldn't buy this. Just give me the regular buttery, you know, theater popcorn or whatever. Um, but this body armor stuff, yeah, you know, I'm not a big. Uh, I don't drink a whole lot of Gatorade, but this would be a fine alternative. Now the price points on this uh, body armor. Uh, I went to two different places to find yeah, stuff. It was, it was like a dollar, um, oh. which it was on it was on sale, but like that's a pretty good deal for what, sixteen ounces. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also like that it's not enormous, but maybe it should be more. I don't know. Um, I do like the bottle, how it's kind of um, kind of concave shaped. Um, and it's got the groove lines. Makes it easy to grip. Mm-hmm. I feel like if I threw it in like my, uh, you know, the water bottle holder on my bike or something, I could just kind of whip it out uh, while I'm while I'm working out, and it'd be fine. I guess I'm kind of conflicted because it has so much sugar, and it's supposed to be a sports drink. But sugar's good when you're sportsing. Hmm. Yeah, but good has a lot of sugar too. That's a good point. Um, I'm gonna give it to Body Armor. That's where I'm going. What what what's your vote? Oh, um, I'll go popcorn. Okay. Uh, split like right down the middle. Now, um, real quick, if you were a celebrity, what would your uh, drink or food be that you would uh, quietly support? Um, beef jerky. Oh, excellent answer. Yeah, beef jerky brand. That's a phenomenal. I'm in full support of that. Feature. Uh, yeah, the name. Um, you know that that's a big choice. I I don't know if I you know can think of the best name right now, but yeah, like a, a beef jerky would be nice. I think. I have yet to see. I feel, I feel like it's ripe for a celebrity to step in. I was gonna say I have yet to see celebrity endorsed jerky, and that's like right up Sam oh, Elliott's. Yeah. You know, that's unless that, the Twitter guy owns Jack's links. I hope not. Because, you know, he's Jack. He's a little too greedy for me. <laughs> Just like stay in your lane, bro. You know? Well, that was a new segment. What would be your um, uh, gift back to the world? After um, you said your celebrity. What do people like? What, you know, my brand is already so defined, it's kind of hard to... Beans? <laughs> Be- not beans, beans? no. <laughs> I don't think beans. Um, what about like uh, I'll do like a, I'll do some sort of minty gum. Oh, stepping on uh, Wrigley's turf. Yeah, I'm coming for you. It's gonna. I'm, I'm gonna move to Chicago just so I can build a better field. Yeah, uh, you should you should take the ivy down from the outfield walls there. That's a that's a workplace hazard. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to buy their... I'm just going to build my stadium around their stadium. Oh, yeah, okay. So if they wanted to go to a game in Wrigley Field, they'd have to pay me first. Got to buy a ticket to Mike Stadium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bono Fields. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, they're majestic. Maybe you've heard about them. <laughs> this is the money the gum built, okay? <laughs> this is the <laughs> this is the kingdom. Keep chewing, baby. Um, yeah, but it 
you'd have your standard flavors, you'd have your mint, you'd have your bubblegum flavor, but then I'd really, I'd really double down on the, the, the watermelon and cotton candy. Absolutely. But, like, just actually keep them there. Right. If you can get, like, the bubblicious fruit flavors mm-hmm. and get them to stay in the gum... That would that'd be like one of the most revolutionary food technologies. And I remember when I had braces, the doctors like you can chew gum, but it has to be one of these like sugar-free gums. And I'm like, okay, yeah. but it wasn't sugar-free. It had like aspartame or something, and it did not taste yeah, good. Yeah. So I think I would just that's a bad trick. I would just like lobby the orthodontic, uh, the the guys, and just push like my sugar-full gum. You know? Yeah. Braces proof sugared gum. Yeah. I'm see now. I'm kind of I'm step I'm stepping out of my lane. That's that's the issue. I would have bought it. I, I would have bought it when I had uh, braces. Ugh, I hated those years. Those are bad bad years. Yeah, rough couple of years. Well, thanks for uh, indulging in the snack attack. Um, it'll be back in the future. It's my pleasure. Uh, I'm gonna do some more research. Turns out celebrity owned stuff is not as I mean, like, I was going to buy that Dan Aykroyd liquor, but it's like 50 bucks a, for a yeah. fifth, and that's, that's a, little, expensive. a little rich yeah. for my blood. You know, once I get a Patreon, no, nah, that's, that's, I'm not going to do that. That's stupid. <laughs> um, but this has been uh, Comparing Apples to Oranges. I'm Mike. And I'm Bob. And uh, we had a great time today. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for listening to the podcast. This was episode 54, and I hope you liked it. Put some pretty fun articles in the show notes for you, uh, all the way from Men's Health to The Guardian, so covering the whole gamut there. Any comments or ideas for future episodes of the podcast or uh, ideas for our segment about Snack Attack, go ahead and send it to Twitter is at the Cato Podcast, all one word or email us at catopodcast at gmail.com. The intro, outro, and music bed music was the song Thumbs Up by the great artist Leisure Bean. If you liked him, go ahead and check him out at humanworkshop.com. Thanks for checking in. I'll see you next month. Bye.